This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 109 of the Best Seats Podcast. 109. Can't believe we're already rolling that so soon into the new year. But this is the only podcast that brings you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. Or if you're in the Orange County area, check out any of her family's three restaurants, Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, and Dublin Four Gastropub and Wine Works for Everyone. Both of those are in Mission Viejo. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feeds, be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other people to find the show. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this, but don't forget that the very best listening experience is found only at patreon.com forward slash thebestseats, where for as little as $2 a month, you get exclusive ad-free listening in perpetuity. That means all the prior 108 episodes as well, and exclusive access to the bonus episode each and every time we record. Those started back at the beginning of 2022. I think there's about 38, maybe 40 of them at the time of this recording, but all of those can only be found on Patreon. Let's talk about this episode. Again, we're kicking off the new year. We kicked off the new year fund, right? 108. We're talking about the Delhi Awards. But I want to get back to official content, and this is where we're doing it. And I cannot be happier about this episode. Um, we have a tendency in life in general, but especially in kind of the hospitality world, to look at what's next, what's new, what's around the corner, what's happening. We don't really tend to look backwards. We don't look at history. Um, and especially for whatever reason, kind of Southern California, Los Angeles, Orange County, it's all about what's new, what's flashy, where's this chef going, who's opening, what's this new thing coming. So I really, really loved sitting down with my guest for this episode, which was Sherry Drury. Now, Sherry Drury has been with Wilma's Patio in Newport Beach, specifically out on Balboa Island, since it opened. And when I say since it opened, Wilma's has been around 40 years you heard that correctly, 40 years, four decades. That is astounding. It's astounding in this market. It's astounding in New York. It's astounding anywhere to be in this game that long. With the new year, we generally think about resolutions, right? We want to think about what's new. How are we going to reinvent ourselves, make ourselves better, etc. And I couldn't imagine a better guest than Sherry to sit down and talk about the history of Wilma's and the history of the industry and the history of this area. Like I said, we always have this tendency to kind of look forward. And I think it's incredibly important that if we're going to look forward at what our lives can bring, that we look backward at where we were before and we appreciate the past and we appreciate history. And Wilma's is an amazing place to do that. Sherry sits down to talk about the history of it, moving around with her parents, how they got into the restaurant game to begin with, the history of Wilma's, the different locations it's been to, the new, well, I was going to say the new location, but the building was built in 1914, so a little dumb to use that descriptor, but the current building they're in, we'll call it that, 
and just the family that the restaurant is because it is more than a restaurant and employees. It is truly an institution that is run by a family that can only be brought together the way that the hospitality world can do. So I really, really hope that your new year is off to a great start so far, but I really hope that you enjoy episode 109 of the Best Seats podcast featuring Sherry Drury of Wilma's Patio out on Balboa Island. Enjoy. Sherry, what a treat it is to be here on a one of the few not rainy days somehow in January in Orange County. We found a dry day, but middle of service here. I want to talk about the restaurant. I want to talk about the history. I want to talk about a lot of different things. But before we do that, would you mind introducing yourself, explaining where we are and kind of how you came to be here? Oh, my. Okay. My name is Sherry Drury. I am the daughter of Wilma and Marie Stottinger. Wilma is my mom who started this restaurant 40 years ago. And we're on Balboa Island in... We like to call it Mayberry. It's, <laughs> and we have a spot of sun right now, too, which is glorious. I know. After the I, rain. know. I, I never thought that I would be thanking God for a, a clear day here in Orange County, but suffice to say, I'm very happy we have one. Um, a lot of the restaurants that I've recorded at recently and since the show kind of started are within that traditional Orange County kind of time frame of maybe open two years, maybe open five years, maybe open 10 in some regards. You guys have been here over 30 years. What, 35 years? 40. 40, 40. years. We this year September was 40. Yeah, or, well, now we're 2023. Yeah, but yeah, we're going on our 31st. Crazy. I mean, that is, that's unheard of. I know. I mean, across, it, not just here, I mean, anywhere, 40 years. I mean, you barely hear about that in New York, especially nowadays. <laughs> how, did true, the, how did the true. restaurant come to be? Oh, boy. Um, kind of a long story, but kind of a short story. Oh, 40 it? years, yeah, I would expect. Yeah, well, um, my parents got into the restaurant industry at middle of life. They, um, they both had regular jobs, and um, from different reasonings, my dad was in a pretty bad car accident. My mom was in an accident at her work, and they decided, uh, my mom was the real mastermind behind this. My mom was one of those people that just kept forging ahead, and she decided after they both lost their career jobs, um, they were going to do something radically different. And my aunt and uncle, who lived in Colorado, had an A&W restaurant, the Car Hop, the whole nine yards. And my mom got familiar with the restaurant industry through them and decided um, she was going to explore the whole A&W franchise. And their main office was here in California. So she, of course, approached them and um, learned about the industry Meanwhile, while she was learning about the industry, she got a real estate license and was flying up to Tahoe um, and flying clients up there to look at a brand new ski resort that was under development that hadn't been yet developed. And they were selling properties up there. And what she would do was fly from Burbank Airport with people up to Tahoe, to Truckee, and take them to look at where the ski resort was being built. And you could sell them houses and lots and things like that and mm -hmm. then she would take them to lunch and fly home well there was nowhere to eat so her with her research of the A&W and with going up there every week went you know they need better places to eat why don't we open a restaurant up there and they ended up building and opening a restaurant in Tahoe City in this little square that was um, under new construction, it was called Cobblestone Square. They actually built the building we were in, so it didn't have the A&W look at all. It was very Swiss chalet style, and they opened it in 1972. 
in Tahoe City. Wow. So in fifth grade, we up and sell everything, and we moved to Tahoe City and opened a restaurant. I'm like, what is going on? I'm 10 years old going, okay, this is random. I mean, it was going from Colorado to Tahoe. The scenery is a little familiar, but that's a bit of a life change. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But it was, it was kind of adventurous. It was kind of cool, but it was, it was, it was very scary, to be really honest with you. So... So we got into the industry that way, and then after about three and a half years of being up there, my parents, who were ironically from Colorado, went, why did we pick the snow? We hated the snow. That's why we eloped to California, <laughs> Southern California, and they decided, no, let's get out of this. So they, they, just, they didn't hate the restaurant industry, and yeah. they liked being their own bosses. They hated the snow and the cold. So they sold everything. We moved back to Southern California, and then my parents started... Every weekend for a year, we would drive to every beach community, and my parents were doing all this research on what was in the community, housing, and all of that, and they settled on a house in Irvine. They came to Balboa Island one day to figure out, they were indecisive on what kind of wallpaper, what kind of carpet, what kind of tile. You know, when you buy a house in Irvine, when it's brand new, you get all those choices. Yeah, I was going to say, nowadays, yeah. So they came to Balboa Island, which is where they came when they first got married to vacation. They hadn't been here in years. And they went to our original location, which was Vans Belgian Waffles, to have lunch. And my dad turns to the guy and says, are you the owner? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, is this place for sale? And the guy goes, it can be. (laughs) And my parents right then and there knew that was what they, that was it. They made him an offer. They drove back to Irvine because they'd bought a huge house. Turned that in for the smallest house so they could afford both. Drove back to Glendale, and when I got home from school, they go, guess what we did? We just bought a restaurant on Balboa Island. I'm looking at them. I'm in eighth grade going, huh? Now, I don't even know what Balboa Island is, so this was all... I was really on a ride of a lifetime with my parents. They turned into adventurers. They were really you must have just gotten home and been like, can you guys stop having adventures? Like, you're throwing me off here. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> and I had two older brothers. They're 8 and 11 years older. So they were kind of already gone. At, you know, I'm 13. They're in their 20s. So, mm-hmm. they're, so I was like an only child with two brothers. <laughs> and new restaurant owners. Yeah. And they had never owned an independent restaurant before either. So yeah, it was okay. just crazy i believe that crazy i mean i i'd be remiss if i didn't ask with that much history what were some of those early days like i mean everything is obviously i mean everything changes in 40 years right i mean things just naturally change well the restaurant they opened was not wilma's they opened because they had come from fast food Mm -hmm. and at that point in time that's when carl's jr had just yeah that would have just kind of pretty kicked off where you would go and you'd order and they'd give you a number and you'd sit at a table and you would bring you the food so it was kind of like a crossover kind of like a restaurant and kind of fast food yeah the beginning of kind of the fast casual movement exactly and they thought oh this is cool so we'll start our own so in the um original location i don't know if you know this but this is not our original location yeah, that I did know. And yeah. we moved in this location in 97. But when they bought, they bought in the mid-70s. And that was just down the street, same side of the street. Mm-hmm. So they, we tore apart the whole building. My parents remodeled by themselves. My brothers were helping. We were all helping. You know, my, you know, my mom and dad grew up on a farm. So when you don't know how to do things, you teach yourself. Yeah, you, you don't just figure just, it out. Yeah, you don't hire contractors and this and that. If yeah. you can do the work, you do the work. That's just kind of was their work ethic. So they got it all remodeled, and we opened it. And it was, like I said, it was called, my mom had this fascination with the word patio. 
I, maybe that comes from growing up on the farm in the snow, California outdoor fun sun. I don't know what that was, but she called it the patio because it had a big patio, the other restaurant. And she had three E's on it. Again, I'm not sure what that was all about. <laughs> so it was the patio, and we opened it up, and it was such typical of the 70s. Lime green and yellow and all those oh, I colors. Could, I, could, I could smell it. Kind of that it. hippie, yeah. you know. And they took what they knew. They knew how to make burgers, and they did all of that. But the island was not receptive. Really? It was receptive in the summer months, yeah. but in the winter months, it not at all. I mean, how has it changed kind of now, the reception to it? I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a beloved, I mean, this is an institution, which is not a word that I like to throw around lightly when it comes to restaurants, but it truly is a neighborhood institution. It really is. It yeah. really is. Um, well, what happened was, is so they leased it out, and then um, they went back to doing what they knew was working for other people, realized just how much they hated that. Yeah. So they came to the conclusion that they need to revamp what they, the island... I guess wanted so when they it's a long story but we won't go into that but they got the business back got it It, uh, the lease situation did not pan out so that's when they turned to an architect they did something they've never done they went and got help so they didn't do it themselves one time one time and they went to an architect (laughs) and he gave him his idea of what he envisioned for a restaurant and they kind of combined if you will what they had done in Lake Tahoe with the restaurant, because it was very chalet style with yeah. river rock in the front. So we added the river rock. They did more of a chalet style, but the windows all opened up to the outdoors. There was a real cute planter in front where all the plants would drift over and, and drape down. And they created this restaurant. And the architect's the one that says, we need to name it after your mom. And my mom was like, I hate my name. I hate my name. We're not naming it after me. And he goes, think about it. There is no other Wilma's, and people will gravitate to that. But she had to throw the word patio in there. So it was Wilma's patio. So what they created was like an indoor dining room, but my dad was really good with plants. And so there was tons, and that, you know, again, early 80s, late 70s, lots of hanging plants yeah, and yeah, yeah. plants everywhere. So they created an outdoor patio look indoors, you know, with the windows that all opened up with the river rock, and it was really cute. It came out beautiful, and bingo, that's what the island wanted. They had waitress service. They didn't know anything about waitress service. <laughs> they really, you know, they really went for things without realizing what they were getting themselves into. Yeah. So at that point in time, um, I had already graduated high school. I was in college. I had met my now husband, and my parents moved back to we, they had relocated to where I was originally born and where they knew, Glendale. Mm-hmm. And then so they decided to move back down here. Above the restaurant was a one-bedroom apartment. So they moved into that. I, they left me behind. I ended up moving in with my, my uh, then-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll get a kick out of this. My uh, father used to say that he was his sin-in-law because we were living in sin. <laughs> So he called Dave my the sin-in-law. That's not the first time I've heard that. Yes. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so we opened the restaurant, and then my parents are like, after five days of being open, they fired the entire staff. They had wow. hired the chef from the Jolly Roger, who, which is the building we're in now, ironically. And the guy built a menu that was so ridiculous. It had oysters. It had... 
all kinds of seafood and high-end meats. And it was a tiny little restaurant that had 16 tables. He didn't get the vibe. And what they realized is what the guy was doing. He brought in all this stuff and was stealing it out the back door. Oh, God. So they fired the entire crew, shut it down for a few days, called me up and said, we need your help. Well, I had a job. My boyfriend at the time had a job. So we would come down on weekends and help. They kept one employee, and he's back there today. His name's Benny. Which is incredible, by the way. Well, and the funny part, his name is Hubinal, and my mom couldn't say it, so she says, you're Benny. And he's been (laughs) Benny ever since. (laughs) So he was the dishwasher. That's who she kept, and they rebuilt it, and they built it really tiny. They just went breakfast and lunch. They did a breakfast menu that was one page, and that's how they started. And then as soon as we could, we gave notice at our jobs, came down, found an apartment, Mm -hmm. down here onto the island. And then we just grew from there. And then in the summers, we started opening for dinner. Yep. So the first probably six, seven years, we were just breakfast and lunch. We were open until three. And then we'd open for dinner in the summers. And then we ended up keeping the dinner menu thing going and stayed open later. So so our little one-page menu turned into a 10-page menu. Wow. <laughs> well, That's that, that was my fault. I will tell you, that was my fault. Because I thought the menu was so small and so tight. We would run specials. Yeah. And then every time we'd redo the menu, the specials became part of what was on the <laughs> menu. Just stick around. So things like, you know, we added a club sandwich. We started a Reuben sandwich. Just little things, French dip. Just yeah. the basics. But that's what people wanted. I mean, so, those are, yeah, you're talking like all-time classics. Totally. I mean, they're classics for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of... So fast forward, here we are 40 years later, and a lot of the same staff are all... Like, like the one busboy, he's... Somewhere here, his name's Martin. He is the cousin of the original employee, um, Benny. Wow. So he brought his cousin, and like, you know, you, we did everything wrong. You're not supposed to work with friends or family. Everybody here is friends <laughs> and family, let me tell you. Well, I mean, so, I don't know if it's that wrong if it's been going it works. 40 years. I mean, this is just, right? it's been sticking around. I mean, it's so funny. I have such a soft spot in my heart for places like this and I think you know if somebody comes in and they don't immediately have a little bit of love for a spot like this I mean there's just no hope true I mean this is it's full of love it's full of atmosphere it's full of stories I mean there's a lot of history here I mean nostalgia for whatever reason seems to be playing such a big part of our lives these days whether it's remakes of movies or tv shows or you know musicians are coming back for something that no longer is there's a longing for familiar this really gives off a sense of that in a big big way Looking at a regular service today, I mean, like what we're kind of recording in, I mean, what is, you know, it's a lot of the same employees and a lot of the same kind of vibes and, and emotions that have gone into this place. What does the clientele? Is it a lot of the regulars? Do you just have your daily oh, people geez. that need to and fix? And you know what's interesting? So many, so many regulars have come. They sit at the same table every day. Every morning when we open, there's a couple different people that come and sit at these front tables outside every single morning. One of them being Maxwell, who owns Maxwell's across the street. He sits in that table right over there every morning. Everybody knows what they want, so they just bring them their coffee and then brings them their order. They don't even order. And then that just kind of has grown over the years. There's a lot of people that come all the time. And it's funny because a lot of the people you see, you know, every couple months or whatever, and then over the years, you you know, you you chat with them a little more and a little more, and you find out, oh, we live in New York City. We just come out here every couple months, and the first place we come is here, and you're like, what? Wow. So we have regulars that have found this place over regulars. time That's great. that come from all over the country, and, and you don't even know. You really didn't even know 
that. So That's really awesome. It's really cool. We also get a lot of interesting stories like, oh, my dad just got out of the hospital and we had to come here before we took him home because he had to have a good meal. Things like that. Nice. So, you know, it's... This place means a lot to a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's cool. It's cool to know that you've we've created this vibe that people yeah. really appreciate. And that's what's fun. Well, you can always see the passion in kind of a restaurateur's face, whether it's a chef, whether it's an owner, a beverage director, something like that. If they've been around, you know, a long while, they have regulars, they have that sense of community. I mean, 40 years, I mean, this place, like I said, is an institution on the island. I mean, what does that feel like for you guys to have built something unintentionally so iconic? You know, well, one of the things that's kind of sad is my dad died in 1995. We opened at 82, so he doesn't even know what all was created. And I wished he could see it because he would be blown away. He really would be shocked, but he's a lot of the reason why we are where we are, because he was the guy that walked around the dining room, would pour coffee, tell jokes, total prankster. People fell in love with him. Believe it or not, my mom was really shy. So she would hightail it, you know, upstairs to their apartment, which also crossed over as their office. Yeah. She did all the books. She did them by hand. She kept her pulse on the, the, the money. But it was my dad who really created the, the rapport with people, and I learned that from him big time so i think um it i don't know how to explain how cool it is and i think i get so sucked in here when i'm in here i don't always realize what it's like to the new customers or people who come in here because i'm here every day and i've been here almost every day since we've opened it's muscle memory at this point total oh oh i i don't even know how i would teach somebody to do what i do because (laughs) i've learned you know Mostly growing up, I mean, I literally came home to a restaurant since I was 10 years old. After school, I'd go to yeah. a restaurant and then wait till they close and then go home. I didn't even get to go home and play in the yard with all the kids. I thought it was great fun to see what all you could fry in the fryer, like straws. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, just put it in, see what happens. Well, you yeah. know, let's fry some pickles. and just <laughs> You know, you get bored and you get kind of silly creative. And who has access to all these things, you know? Yeah. So the I, kids are playing in the yard. And you've got like, well, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go play with the, the salamander and just see what happens. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> and, and it was funny because one of the uh, other restaurant tour owners in Tahoe, they had a daughter, a Robin, and we were in the same grade. So... We would, yeah, we would play together. We'd take all the boxes and we'd build these giant forts from all the straw boxes and napkin boxes. So we had our own little weird moments where we would, you know, play with stuff nobody else got to play with. And (laughs) and we would trade food, you know, and they had an Italian place. So I loved their meatball sandwiches. She loved burgers and fries. So we would trade food, you know, silly things like that. But... Yeah, but what a cool and unique experience growing up oh. that no one else was oh. really going to get. And I'll, Yeah, it was so much fun. In hindsight, it was so much fun. And it kept me out of trouble, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Because I was never alone. And um, I got to hang out, and what I thought was the coolest thing, I got to hang out with all the older kids, you know, that worked for my parents. You know, they're in their late teens, early 20s. I'm 13, 14, 15, and they would drag me with them everywhere, <laughs> you know. I got to see, uh, they would take me to shows in South Lake Tahoe. That's I awesome. got to see the Carpenters when I was like 14, 13. Who, you know, they don't, they're not even around anymore. Karen Carpenter died many years ago. So that was cool. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. And they would, they would do things like they would get the whole crew together and they'd go floating down the Truckee River up in Tahoe City, which that was a big deal. Yep, I know that. I've, I've done that. That's <laughs> but now it's all with, you know, boats where, where they, they take you down. We would just get a bunch of 
inner tubes and we'd tie them together and we'd all just all be tied together floating down. Hope everybody and I was it. the one kid, you know? <laughs> That's the, awesome. And the funny part is they would all be smoking pot back then and I didn't know it was pot. You know, they it's called like, it those green. Are weird cigarettes. Well, they thought they called it green leaf tobacco and they would roll them in these red papers that were tasted like strawberry. And they'd go, here, you can taste the outside. You can lick the paper, but you can't have any. I didn't that's really, know. That's really but responsible if, drug use for restaurant people. <laughs> oh, if my parents only knew, holy cow. But I'll never forget, you know, when I look back on that, I'm like, good heavens. That's awesome. They took care of me, even though I was, you know, they, they all looked out for me. So, Well, obviously, it instilled a lot of great lessons, whether you knew them or not. I mean, if to still be standing here today and, and oh, doing 100%. what you're doing with this and community. I still am in touch with a lot of those people, even back really? from. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, really cool. Um, Balboa Island itself is a bit of an enigma in kind of Orange County. It's, it's one of those places that it's a little insular. It's a little protective, but it's also one of the few places where for a place that's not that old, relatively speaking, when you talk about things on the East Coast and places like that, this is one of the few places where you do have restaurants and businesses that have been around a long time. What is it about Balboa Island that is kind of protective like that? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think when you drive over that bridge, you feel lost in time. I think it's timeless in they a lot of ways. You. Yeah. Well, like this building. This building was built in 1914. Did you know that? Which is just, by the way, unheard of out here. I mean, well, for it to be sticking around still is wonderful. Right. And, and one of the rooms, which I'll show you later, was built from the wood from the original bridge onto Balboa Island. That was before cars. Wow. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, they would they built a little bridge and they'd bring their wagons over and they would pitch tents and they would camp on the island. That's unbelievable. And then in the, you know, the early teens, yeah. they uh, tore down the bridge to make it wide enough for cars and the wood was scrapped. Well, Hal Smith, who built part of this building, he went and got all that wood and he built the room that's on the far side. That's really cool. And it cool. was a real estate office when he built it. <laughs> and these are the railroad ties in here from when there was a, a, did you know there was a train that went down on the peninsula? Yeah. Those are the railroad ties from, I mean, so this, this building's so historical. But getting back to your question, I think when you come over the bridge and, you, and, and it just, I remember the first time I drove over the bridge with my parents when they bought the restaurant that I didn't know about. And <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> And let me tell you, I mean, my eyes just got so wide and I felt like I, I, I landed in Disneyland or something. There's something that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy about this place. And I think that's what makes all the other restaurants the yeah. same way. Because what you don't have here is you do not have um, chain restaurants or you don't have corporate businesses. Yeah. You know? Or even like even restaurant groups, for that matter, right. that kind of would have, you know, 10 properties in the area or something right. like that. I mean, is Bal I mean, legally speaking, Balboa Island is Newport Beach, right? Correct. But Correct. Is it? I mean, emotionally, is it Newport Beach or is it something different? That's a really good question. That is um, it is something different. We like to call it. Um, well, it's, it's the jewel of Newport Beach. And, you know, from a perspective of business and stuff, they like to call it the shopping spree at the end of Jamboree. Because Jamboree, <laughs> you go over the bridge, yep. turns into Marine, and here we are. Yep. But so from that perspective, there's that. But um, that's a, you know, I don't know. This, this place just has something very magical about it where you truly are an island. You can walk all the way around it. And yeah. Everybody here, the cool thing is you, it's so safe. 
and you, you feel the safety of it all. You can walk around, people look you in the eye and they say hello. People don't do that. If you go to LA, even if you go to some of the greatest, the most fun places, in, you know, in, no, in LA I, it, and Hollywood I, and Long Beach no, and all that. No, you make eye contact with somebody, that's just rude. How, yeah, you're how, like how dare scared, you say, like what yeah, do they want from me? me? But here, it's like people walk by and go, hi. You know, they, um, so the, it's just, it brings out the best in people, I guess you could say. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef, owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R. Dot com today. Once again, that's Heirloom Potage. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly, I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, thebestseats15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code thebestseats15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. Kind of cool that way. I mean, we're recording this um, beginning of January. We just crossed into the new year, 2023. We're we're getting further and further, thankfully, from 2022 and the shutdown. But with a place with this much history, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask: Was there ever a fear that this would all disappear when oh. everything was kind of shut oh. down and when all the craziness was going on? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. But I also think too. I think I have a little of my mom in me because I was determined, so determined that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I wasn't going to lose all the staff and everything. So we got, you know, the, I, I tuned into the creative side of my mom, and here we go. 
Um, I remember the very first day. Well, I remember it was on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. 2020. We're all standing here watching the news as they're saying, effective immediately, you have to close. And we're all looking at each other going, oh, no, what are we going to do? Because we, you know, being that the kind of place that we are, we made corned beef and cabbage, you know, from scratch. And yeah. we had reservations. And what are we going to do? So we all looked at each Patty's other. and went, <laughs> So we didn't close that day. We went, you know what? Uh, there, were, there were a lot of people that didn't. Yeah. Well, I'm like the village in on the corner, the local bar, man, that place was, they did the same thing we did. I think everybody kind of took the pulse of going, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. So they're like, no, we're going to go for it tonight. We'll close tomorrow. And I went, all right, we're doing the same thing. And everybody, all the reservations showed up. We sold our corned beef and cabbage. And and the next day was like, all right, well, I think the, the, the one thing that was going for everybody is you didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know where yeah. we were going to be is shut down they said a couple weeks so it's like okay so we shut down and we opened the next morning to do to go service only and nobody came and that was the you know you didn't know what to no no the anticipate. first days were wild what happened was is everybody stayed home so they didn't need to go out to breakfast they didn't need to get a breakfast to go because they weren't going from here to the office anymore that didn't cross any of our minds so after a couple of days, we went, okay, this isn't working. So we only opened at noon and closed at 6. And that's what seemed to work better. And March for us, especially in this area, was really big on um, the spring breaks. Because mm-hmm. we have yeah. rolling springs, spring breaks anymore. I don't know if people realize that. But there used to be, you know, you'd have two, three weeks where all the universities, all the schools, everybody was out the same they don't do that anymore. No, There's it's like, staggered. Yeah. It's, and, it, and it helps us a lot. So yeah. we get our, our, the month of March really bumps. Well, what also happened is I ordered a whole lot of food that we didn't need anymore. And then all the hoarding began. So I turned the front here into a grocery store. Yeah. And we sold all the stuff we had plenty of. People can find eggs and orange juice and bread. And so we started selling that, all the vegetables. We did whatever we could to not lose the product. And then, you know, every day was a new adventure. Yeah. So we started, you know, tried to figure out what people wanted. So we came up with family meals so people could come and get dinner for four on, you know. Um, we delivered to their houses on the island. We got really creative. When the, when the light kind of at the end of the tunnel started to appear, when it was like, all right, we're open. Okay, we're, you know, we're back to quote unquote normal. It was, it, it, you know, and basically now obviously just we're back. What was that side of relief like for you to be like, not only did we survive, but this survived. Everything that has been built, all this history will endure. Um, it was a real test that we passed. Yeah. And one of the cool things is the city let us put tables outside on the sidewalk. See, we only had this little area. We never had anything on the sidewalk before. And hopefully we get to keep this. Um, I, I was going to say, I if anybody's a, listening, keep it. Just yes. please keep outdoor well, dining in the way. Just If there was any benefit, well, it was we getting applied, the I applied for what they call a bistro license. Mm-hmm. Because for luckily for me, the way our building is, is I've got about a foot. And so then the table hangs over about another foot. So we're not engulfing too much. We only have, yeah. we had both sides of the street like everybody and went, you know, down to the store next door and across, you know, the front of the store on this side to get enough tables yeah. to make a relative when we could only do outdoor dining. And then when we could come back inside, we just kept four on the sidewalk and our regular three in this front patio. And we didn't add more tables. We took from inside 
and moved outside because my kitchen is so small there's no way we could have handled it all so yeah, it makes, makes this a little more spacious inside which is cool nice and so but it was a real relief to, that we made it yeah it was not easy um you know i went after every ppp loan every grant you could get i got i'm not into doing books and doing all of that like that but i sure taught myself in a hurry and that saved us good well i mean obviously congratulations and congratulations on 40 years in this space and the entire breadth of how long you've been in business and how long your family's been doing this um i'm gonna keep you around for a patreon only bonus episode as we start to kind of wind this one down but i want to ask you as somebody who's been in this industry for so long what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in kind of the restaurant industry and then kind of what are some of the things that you see coming maybe trends kind of ahead and, and what are some of those changes i think the thing i've seen that i that is making it harder and harder is all the the restrictions on everything you could imagine right now yeah. you know they just made us go through a new thing where all the servers have to be licensed to sell alcohol and you have to know everything about you know what how it's through the ABC and this yeah, is new. Yeah, so the, yeah. all that of these happens, kind of restrictions yeah. are just more squeezing, 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 making it harder all the time. You know, everybody has to do a serve safe class, which that's not so bad. But just the way they're changing everything. Now, I don't know if you heard the other day, they're saying that they might outlaw gas stoves. It's <laughs> yeah, like, are you it's kidding just me? It's the dumbest thing in the world. It I know. is. So it's all of those kind of group things that between the state and the, and, and the country. They're making all these laws are making being in this kind of business harder and harder and yeah. harder. And that's what's scary because nothing's wrong. If it isn't broke, don't fix it. Stop making all these regulations. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is yeah. all the governmental regulations you have to adhere to. It's just making it harder and harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as somebody who's been doing this for a long time, is there any thought of when the final day for you might be? I mean, is there ever a thought of stepping away at some point? Oh. I mean, because it's one thing for somebody to get in the industry and then five years later, they're like, oh, that wasn't really for me. I'm going to get out and do something else. But when this is your life and quite literally your life, is there is there any thought in the back of the mind? Oh. Or is it like, I'm just going to keep going for as long as I and, can? And to think that there isn't isn't realistic, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm 61 right now going, okay, I want to play like everyone else and I'm so tied to this. Um, we just had our 40th anniversary, and the part, and we had a big party, and mm -hmm. there was a lot of people that worked here over all the years and a lot of the customer base. And it kind of makes you realize just how important what you do and what you've created is to so many people. So yeah. it's like, I don't want to give that up. If I could find a way to cross over and have some more management and, and me not here, because I'm here 24-7, yeah, yeah. I really want to break. I want to go travel a little bit. Yeah, I wanna, rightfully so, yeah. And so if I can figure that out, what did not help is COVID and losing so many people that work in this industry. I think right now that is still a problem. Yeah, Luckily 100%. for me, luckily, we kept almost every single person that worked here. But I'm still down a couple cooks. I'm still down. That's still an astounding statistic. Isn't I mean, it, though? Yeah, for the amount Isn't of turnover and people, and, and people are still, I mean, not a day that goes by where I don't get a text saying, hey, do you know a sous chef looking, or do you know somebody looking? It's like, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, but luckily for me, like, you know, I, I, I thank God for the Cabrera family. I have to do a shout out to them. They had 17 kids, and we've wow. had nine work here. Three are here right now. Well, two. One's on his day off. That's awesome. And to the, they're, Kids are now working here, so I have some of them, the nieces and the nephews and all that. So they have been so loyal. So that's the other thing. It's not just what do I want to do. 
what happens if I decide to sell it or leave? What happens to them? That yeah. I have a big, you know, a, a lot riding on my shoulders as far as they go. I can't leave them in the lurch. So, yeah. But the other thing is we're all aging together. <laughs> a lot of us are the same age. Like the gentleman I told you, Benny, who's mm-hmm. been here since day one, him and I are the same age. How long wow. is he going to want to cook, you know? That's fair, yeah. My chef, him too, he's been here 35 years. Um, so I don't know. So I think, to be honest with you, it has to be a collective thought process where we all kind of come to a conclusion. Yeah. What are we all going to do? Do we hang it up and do a grand goodbye? Do we move on to the next generation and we help massage it into that? Can I afford to? With all the regulations, it's getting harder and harder and harder to make money in this industry. Yeah. And I don't really make a lot of money. I cover my bills and I have fun with what I do. And my dad always told me, if you have fun with what you do, you never work a day in your life. And he's right. Well, so, for you guys to have been going for as long as you have to build what you have built and, and more than a restaurant, I think it really is a, a, a piece of history and a staple of the community. Just as much a part of the ocean is, just a part of much as, yeah, I mean, it's, this this is so much more than a restaurant. You guys should be very proud. And whenever that day comes, it'll be a a sad and historic and seismic change, but. But maybe it won't. Maybe we'll find a way around it. That's what, if I could figure out how to do that, that would be my first goal. Yeah. It would never be to shut this down and walk away. No, no, no. No, no. but we'll see. But like I said, I think it's going to have to be a little more of a collective, not just myself and my husband, what we choose to do. Because like I said, there's. Well, there they are, right there. They're, they're right there, all of them. What do I mean? How do I? <laughs> no, you can't just. I can't. I know. And what I know. would they do? They've done nothing else their whole lives either. You know, they don't know anything else either. No, I, all, I, that's why. That's why this podcast needs to do well because I don't know. I'm not going to go become a banker. So this is what I know, and yeah, <laughs> I completely sympathize with that. Um, well, like I said, I'm going to keep you around for another bonus episode because I have some more questions I want to ask about <laughs> tourists and I want to ask about oh, a couple okay. of different things. Fabulous. Um, but we're going to wind this one down. If people, for whatever reason, have not been to the restaurant before, if they want to learn more about it, find you guys online, things like that, where can people do that at? Um, well, our website's wilmaspatio.com. Um, my advertising guru, Melissa, has just been amazing. So every social media outlet, you know, um, Facebook, um, um, yeah, you guys Twitter, are all over the, We're everywhere, yeah, yeah. And, and she's done such a beautiful job with our image and getting it out there, and, and all of the people that work here. She doesn't just take pictures of food. She she does little stories about everybody that works here, so well, you get to so. know everybody. Just If you just follow any any social media thing that you like to follow, we're on it. Thanks that's to beautiful. Her. Well, I obviously taking photos of the people because that's, that's, that's who, who have made this are. place what it is. Oh, it's not yeah. just what my parents started. It's you know, it's what it became because of what they started. Well, it's really become something beautiful. Thank you so much for the time. Um, and congratulations to 40 years. And here's Thank to 40 you. more. Thank you. Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you once again to Sherry for taking the time to sit down. Thank you to the team at Wilma's for setting us up in such a great way. Again, they were in the middle of service, as you probably heard at times in the background of that one, but to be so accommodating, so nice, so gracious with their time. If you have not been out there yet, please go. I know that Balboa Island can be a little tough in the parking out there, but just find a reason to go there. Because like I said so many times in the podcast, I know I couldn't stop saying it, but it was so true. It is more than a restaurant. It is an institution. 
And I think that as much as we love looking forward to what's next in this industry, what's new, what's exciting, it's places like Wilma's that really matter the most. And if you don't find a reason in your heart to love Wilma's, I don't know if this podcast is for you because I adore it. Thank you to everybody who listens on free feeds. Thank you especially to everybody who supports on Patreon. You make this show possible. Thank you to the advertising partners. Thank you to everybody who has made this show what it is as we enter 2023. Get out there, enjoy, support restaurants, and I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, John Sanchez, Timothy. Thank you for your support.